My second reading this morning uh, comes from uh, Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As we come to that, let's pray. Our Lord, uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Because it is your word, Lord. Uh, It's not our word, it's not something uh, that we came up with, uh, but it is yours. Uh, Because it is yours, Lord, it is is truth. Um, It's holy, it's perfect. Uh, It instructs with spiritual wisdom. It instructs uh, to the depths of our hearts. Uh, Lord, uh, we pray that your word... Uh, would be a help to us today, uh, strengthening us, um, revealing in us the, the sins that are in us, uh, opening our hearts and our minds to, to see all that you have to say. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 2. Now, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem. Now, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Uh, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. The matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. And God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Amen. Amongst uh, Christians, uh, there are many things over which we might have disagreement. Some of those things are inconsequential. In our review of 1 Samuel, for example, we couldn't tell whether Saul was going to be a saved man or not. And in the end, uh, whether you believe he was or wasn't, doesn't matter. Uh, That has no consequence. Now, some things we differ on might actually change how we live and what choices we make in life. And so they have consequences, uh, but they're not essential to salvation. For example, there are some Christians who think that uh, musical instruments in church are not a part of worship in the New Testament day. And so they will sing a cappella. They'll sing without musical instruments uh, in church. 
It's a matter of difference. It's not crucial to salvation, but it does affect the way they live. But then there are things on which we can never waver. Uh, the gospel and the authority of the word of God. Uh, Paul is writing a letter to the churches in Galatia. Uh, and, and it's an emotional letter. It's an emotional letter because these are churches that Paul planted. Uh, they are people with whom he shared the gospel. Uh, they heard it. They accepted it. Uh, they were baptised. They formed congregations. They appointed elders in these churches and they began to be fed from the word of God. And Paul had invested himself in these churches and so their continuing in faith really matters to him. The problem was that somewhere along the line, someone or some people introduced the idea that in order to be real Christians, the Gentiles all needed to be circumcised. So Paul has been writing to the Galatians to bring them back to the gospel. They need to reject any idea that added to or altered the gospel message. The gospel message, the good news, is that Jesus Christ died for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. And that's all his work. It's not our work. He has done it all. He rescued us. We do not rescue ourselves. To be sure, we must repent of our sins, but the salvation is wholly his. It's worked by him alone. And this message, this gospel, was not something that Paul invented. He didn't make it up. It wasn't just wishful thinking. It was a divine message, a message given to him by Jesus Christ himself and God the Father. The gospel is God's word. And to alter it, change it, or add to it, starts to change its meaning and its intent. And so when the Galatians were being convinced that they also needed to be circumcised. That was an alteration of the gospel and turned it into a false one. And once it's false, it's no gospel at all. So Paul has been emphasising how, how this message was not received from anybody else. He's had no influence from anyone. It, it's come purely from Jesus Christ himself. And so he was not speaking on his own authority but on the authority of Jesus Christ and God the Father. And there is no higher authority. Paul's message came from Christ alone and it was not derived or received by the other apostles. Now, Paul has already mentioned that he did meet up with the other apostles several years after he began preaching to the Gentiles, but it wasn't to discuss theology and it was a very brief acquaintance at that. But Paul continues in chapter 2 saying... Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately uh, to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Fourteen years later uh, is a long time between visits, isn't it? Uh, Paul clearly wasn't dependent upon the apostles in Jerusalem in any way. 
Acts chapter 11 speaks of the second time that Paul visited Jerusalem. And this time it was in response to a particular revelation. A man had uh, visited Antioch where Paul was uh, ministering at the time. And he prophesied about a famine that was going to come and affect the entire Roman world. And so the local churches agreed to actually take up a collection uh, and task Paul and Barnabas with bringing that collection to Jerusalem to support the poor in the church in Judea. And it is probably during this trip that Paul decided to speak with the other apostles in private. He says he has some concerns that his work with the Gentiles might come to nothing, that he'd been running his race in vain. And so he laid out the gospel before the other apostles. Why does he do that? It certainly wasn't because he felt the need to check that the gospel was okay. He would have been doing that more, no, wouldn't have taken 14 years to come to that conclusion. But clearly Paul had begun to sense that something was wrong. But if it wasn't the gospel, why does he need to lay it out before the other apostles? Well, it can only be that there were already signs of false teaching coming from Judea. Now, Paul was just one man. And if a flood of false gospel teaching came from Judea, then much of his work could come undone. Paul was not checking on the gospel message he preached. He was checking on his brothers in Christ that they still held to the gospel. And so it's during that discussion on the gospel that the topic of circumcision came up. And Paul writes, Yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. There was already a controversy on the issue of circumcision and Gentiles, even before Christ came. Uh, was it a requirement that Gentiles should be circumcised once they became believers? And the conservatives at that point uh, thought that, yes, they need to be circumcised. And the more liberal thought, well, Let's not make them do that. Now, circumcision was a sign given to Abraham of the covenant that God had made with him. And it certainly points to Christ and the righteousness that would eventually come through his death. But then Christ comes and he dies and he is raised from the dead. And the gospel message was then to go out to all nations and things would change. A new covenant had been written. The initial church, though, was largely Jewish. Now, there would have been some initial converts from other nations, we know that, but the apostles had largely concentrated their efforts among the Jews. And so during that period, the issue of circumcision really wouldn't have come up at all. If there were exceptions, they were few. But it wouldn't remain that way. See, Paul was converted on the road to Damascus and he was commissioned by Christ to go to the nations and take the gospel message to them. And so he did. And many others did as well. And the church began to expand and Gentiles were coming into the church. And they were not circumcised. And they weren't getting circumcised. And so in churches outside of Judea, which were mostly Gentiles, 
Most of the people there weren't circumcised at all. And it came to pass that some Jewish Christians in those communities were starting to set aside circumcision. I mean, if the rest of the church isn't getting circumcised, why do I need to do that to my children? And so circumcision, along with many other traditions, were fading from the church outside of Jerusalem and that began to cause problems and rifts. Circumcision was the centrepiece of this issue, but it was not circumcision alone. Uh, there would have been uh, Jewish people outside of the church who wanted their Jews to remain Jewish. Keep getting circumcised, keep doing the temple visits, keep doing all of this stuff, because that's who you are. You're Jewish. This is who we are as a nation. And there would have been even people in the church thinking that they needed to hold to all of the old covenant law as well as learning what Jesus had brought to, to us. And they would have continually asserted amongst the church community that they needed to be circumcised. So there would have been disagreement on this matter and it's inevitable that as Paul meets with the apostles that the topic of circumcision comes up. Titus is there. He's Greek. He's clearly not a Jew. He's a Gentile. And somehow into this uh, private meeting some false brothers have rocked up and attempted to attack Paul's viewpoint by raising the issue of Titus's circumcision. But Paul and Barnabas stand behind the gospel message and refuse to let uh, Titus be uh, forced into circumcision. And they do this not because there's anything wrong with circumcision. This isn't a question of morality. They do it because requiring it would be wrong. Requiring it adds to the gospel. We become Christians by faith, not by the things that we do. Circumcision has no part in that. To make him have circumcision would add to the gospel. Titus uh, was already an impressive Christian. He would become a leader in the church and no doubt the Spirit was already making himself known in Titus. He was already accepted in Christ. He was already a Christian. Acquiring circumcision would be akin to rejecting the work of the Spirit in him. It would be adding a, a, another factor to our salvation. And so for the sake of the gospel, Paul and Barnabas would not be moved. Now Paul doesn't say who stands on the side of the gospel. He simply says we. Uh, but it is likely the other apostles also stood firm with Paul in the matter at this time. In fact, Paul is able to name those who were pushing such an idea as false brothers, false Christians. Not Christians at all, but posers. If they thought that circumcision was necessary, then they had not grasped the gospel and they remained outside of Christ. Because to be a Christian means believing the gospel message. To not believe the gospel or to believe something different or to add to it or to twist it or change it means you aren't a Christian. Those pushing mandatory circumcision were not true Christians. There will always be false Christians infiltrating the church. They don't come finding salvation, but they sow seeds of disagreement. 
Now, there might always be things that we have differences of opinion on and I hope uh, we can allow grace for each other when it's not of great consequence. But the authority of scripture and the message of the gospel are two things that we must defend and stand by. It was not that Paul was arguing against circumcision at all. In fact, on a different day, in different circumstances, uh, Timothy was circumcised with Paul's full agreement. And there, circumcision was important because Timothy was evangelising to Jews and as a, as a half-Jew himself, his lack of circumcision was a roadblock to him reaching out to other Jews. And so that time, for the sake of the gospel, Timothy was circumcised. Now, circumcision, as it turns out, no longer really matters at all whether you are or you aren't. God commanded it at one point, and so it's obviously inherently not an evil practice. And so what is at issue here is not the morality of circumcision, but making it mandatory, making it a requirement for Gentiles, those people from other nations, to be circumcised in order to be counted as real Christians. Now, there's something strange about the way in which Paul has been referring uh, to the apostles in Jerusalem in this passage, and it gets to the heart of Paul's point. Because this is a matter of, of where authority comes from. Paul has been referring to the apostles in this passage as those who seemed... Uh, what they seemed to be actually isn't said in the original Greek, and so our translations supply a different word. Um, those who seemed important, those who seemed to be something, those who seemed to have reputation, those who seemed to be leaders. Whatever the translation, uh, the implication is that people believed something about these people that wasn't necessarily true. There was a claim being made about them that meant that they held some kind of higher authority than Paul. It seems that those who were misleading the Galatians had kind of said, look, we're from the Judean church. We know what the apostles down there say and they're all circumcised. You guys need to be circumcised too. We're saying this under their authority. Who's, what's Paul got to say? He's not one of the original disciples, is he? Who is he? Now, Paul had respect for these men. He didn't think that they were less than himself. But what he wants the Galatians to realise is that the real authority behind the gospel itself is not the apostles in Jerusalem. It's not even himself. The real authority is God. He says in verse 6, As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by these things. Those men added nothing to my message. To these men had been alongside Jesus during his earthly ministry. They were disciples of Christ at his death and resurrection. They were some of the first to whom Christ appeared. And that's kind of special. And it's the very natural thing for people to look at such people and go, they are special. And they kind of are. But that's not the important part. It's not the important part at all. In fact, the most important part is the message that they would bring and whether that's the truth or not.
anything they claimed or, or anything they asked. It, it all needed to be subjected to the gospel itself. And we still have a tendency to give uh, too much credence to people who seem to know the word of God. We kind of go, oh, that guy knows things, so we'll listen to everything he has to say. And sometimes that's helpful, some of the time, but it's not always helpful and can often lead you astray. Because the gospel, and more broadly, the whole of the scriptures are God's word. And no one on earth has the right to say anything and to ask anything contrary to it. That's where the real authority lies. Everything else can be safely accounted as opinion, and it may be wise, but it doesn't carry the authority of God. Uh, for example, I will often uh, tell people I am not a Calvinist. I'm not. A Calvin is one of the most prominent men of the Reformation and has written some wonderful stuff, and I agree with a lot of things that he has to say. But I don't agree with them because he says them. I agree with them because that's what the Word of God says. I don't want to place him in a category that gives him an authority which is higher than he claimed for himself. He always, always pointed people to the Word of God and that's where we all should be looking. We should believe in the truth and the authority of Scripture because that is what God has given us. Because that's God's Word. The Scriptures are the Word of God. They are written by those who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Each word carrying the truth. We have no right to read it other than the command and will of God. That's the authority of Scripture. We cannot set it aside. You see, the truth of the gospel and the whole of it doesn't rest in some authority that the apostles had because they were with Jesus before. But it rests in the fact that this word comes from God. Now, Paul, in fact, was initially concerned that the apostles may have been letting the truth get away from them. But as it turns out, he's quite pleased to say that they added nothing to the gospel he laid out before them. There were no additions, no subtractions, no conditions, no, oh yeah, but you forgot. In verse 7, Paul says, on the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Those who were leading uh, the Galatians astray had to set Paul's authority aside. They had to set aside the authority of the message that he was carrying. But now, what authority can they claim? 
Not only do the apostles, James, Peter and John, add nothing to Paul's message, but they extend to him the hand of fellowship and recognise Paul and Barnabas as fellow gospel workers entrusted with the truth. And the apostles saw three things in Paul to convince them of this. Firstly, Paul had laid out the gospel in no uncertain terms and they could not fault it. And second, they saw God at work in the ministry of Paul in the exact same way that he was at work through Peter's ministry to the Jews. God blessed the ministry of Paul and with signs of authenticity. There were miracles, there were healings, all kinds of things that were going on. People's lives were being changed. What was happening in Judea for the apostles was happening amongst the Gentiles through Paul's ministry. And of course, it's not Paul himself who's, who's doing these things. They acknowledge that this is God himself at work, blessing Paul's ministry, because the word that Paul is bringing is the truth. And the last thing they saw was that Paul had been given so much grace. He himself was a radically changed man. He had once himself been one of the most conservative of Jews, holding to the law, trying to earn his salvation on his own, confident that God would accept him as he was, even persecuting those of the church who stood against him. And now Paul was changed by grace. He was a man of the gospel in word and in deed. So the apostles accepted Paul as one of themselves, added nothing to his message. They only encouraged him in the very things he was already keen to do. See, those leading the Galatians astray claimed that Paul had no authority to preach what he preached. They claimed that he had no authority to say that these Gentiles could remain uncircumcised. But Paul's response is not to claim authority, but to set that authority on the word of God to set that authority on the, the gospel message itself. And as it turns out, the good news is that it, the apostles also stuck with the same. They saw Paul and Barnabas as brothers in their ministry and they offered him this right hand of fellowship. It doesn't matter what these others thought now. They had no authority to say what they were saying. As we deal with different views in this church, how do we resolve them? Do we appeal to those people who just seem to know best? Because there will be those who seem to be important and certainly there are those to whom we should have respect who seem to know the word of God really well and often get it right. But we can only accept what people say, as long as it comes from the word of God. Now, sometimes you might feel a note of certainty within yourself about a particular matter, like it's, it's come from the spirit and somehow you just know this is truth. And maybe it is a word from God, maybe it is special, but it still must be tested with the written word of God because we are a people certainly capable of fooling ourselves. Where it doesn't come from the word of God, we cannot be certain. And where it contradicts, we can be certain it is wrong. God's word holds and will always hold. There may be some things we agree to disagree on. There's room for that in church. 
For some things, we may only find out the truth as the future unfolds. And we may only find out the truth once we come into God's presence. But there are some things that if we disagree, then there is a fundamental problem because those things affect the gospel and the authority of scripture. In the church, the gospel must be defended. It must be prominent. And the authority of God's word must be held above all other things. Because those who add extra requirements to the gospel alter the gospel. They change it. And what you're doing when you do that is you're actually rejecting the one who gave it. And those who reject the authority of scripture reject the one who gives it his authority. There's a lot in the Bible, a lot to comprehend, a lot to talk over. And the good thing is you don't need to know the whole of it to be saved either. As we grow and mature as Christians, knowing the fullness of what God has said in his word is actually going to help us to grow. It's going to help us be better Christians. But salvation itself is simple. Christ has brought salvation to us and we need only repent of our sins and trust him to be rescued from this present evil age. And on that, there can be no compromise. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you have offered to us through your Son. We know, Lord, that we are in need of it. Our Lord, too, we know uh, that the truth often escapes us. And sometimes we are convinced of things that may or may not be the truth. Our Lord, help us to submit ourselves to your word, uh, to the truth of it, uh, because your authority has been given to it, because it is your word. Help us, Lord, as uh, with each other as we uh, find and discover different things about your word. Uh, help us when we come to things of matters of disagreement and so on, Lord. Help us to subject all of those things to your word. Help us to uh, have grace with one another. All of us are growing, Lord. Each of us are at different stages in our life as Christians and Help us, Lord, to show grace to each other as we continue to grow. But help us, Lord, to, to know your word more and more each day. Help us to grow in it. Feed us. Help us to see the truth and to accept it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, during the next song, we'll take up an offering for the work of the Lord. We're going to sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Thank you.